Hi team, you're listening to Equally Lost, the weekly podcast where we talk about design, business and existential crises. Hi Sophia, what's up? Hi Elsa. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I really, I loved your what's up, I, like, I did not expect that from you, but um, I'm great, I'm great, how are you doing? <laughs> Well, you know, yesterday was a big day. I got a haircut and some guy became president of the United States, which I've heard is a big deal. Loving, loving both, loving both. (laughs) Well, um, just before anything else, we want to both extend a big thank you to everyone who's A, listened to us talk, and they just sent us such supportive messages these past two weeks we really didn't expect it but it means a lot so thank you very much yeah thank you thank you guys we've been receiving such sweet messages of encouragement and yeah we have really nice friends that support us and stand us talking about politics for one hour long um so yeah um elsa you i think you have a little surprise for our listeners (laughs) I think it's more of a surprise for us before that like it's so crazy to look at the analytics from our podcast because it's like the geographical distribution is insane like it goes from like Finland and Italy all the way to the states and to Nigeria and then to Singapore and Hong Kong and it's just crazy because we can probably both imagine people who we know in all of those places so it's really nice to know that people are listening right so oh my god I'm like (laughs) I'm so scared of this because I don't know what's gonna happen but Maya Lampa has been so kind to send us an audio message to the podcast which you can do too under the link that's in the show notes Maya for the record is was my second year roommate at LPC she's from Canada and she like Maya raised me Maya raised 16 year old me like she made me the woman that I am today (laughs) but so okay without further ado let's listen you too thank you for this it was really lovely to listen to I was listening while doing the dishes and some laundry before work um and yeah it really took me back I'm in Vancouver right now in Canada, and there's not a super strong UWC community here. That I've seen a couple of co-years, as well as um, a few UWC students from other schools, but it's not. There's not a thriving UWC community in the city, um, and not that I've I've helped to foster that at all. It's just not really. There isn't the same culture that there is in some other cities, and. Uh, you know, being a year further away from graduation, just having that little bit more distance. um, I'm really finding that I want to reminisce and sort of remember what it was like to be at UWC, because if you don't take the time to reminisce, those memories really do disappear. Thank you, Maya. And she adds in the message, I would have finished with so thank you for this but ran out of time. Maya we love you, thank you so much. Love you Maya, I'm emotional right now, (laughs) really not, it's so sweet to hear that. Yeah, aww, okay that was not, uh, that was completely halal, I was expecting something really incriminating. (laughs) 
That's okay. the record. It was the first time we listened to their voice message. Yes, it was live on air. But, well, speaking of being emotional, I definitely shed a couple of tears yesterday when Kamala Harris was inaugurated. Yeah, me too. Me too. And also when um, Amanda uh, read her poem, I had goosebumps. I literally had goosebumps. Absolutely. And it's just like, I don't know, when Kamala was doing the oath, I was looking at her and, you know, she was at first like she was obviously like smiling and kind of nervous and then she raises her hand and there is just this like strength and conviction that you could see in her expression and you just know that like in that moment it's like all of the women who have worked so hard for her to get into that position are like standing there with her figuratively but I'd oof. Oh my god, I'm like getting emo just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it was it was a really powerful inaugura- powerful powerful inauguration for how you know um, how weird it could have been in a different context. You know, it was heavily guarded. The former president wasn't there. It was in Florida. <laughs> so yeah, Actually, the, poem, the poem the poem killed me. It, it killed me honestly it was so powerful absolutely and I think she she um I don't know for a fact but I read somewhere that she was writing with the January 6th coup attempt in mind so that tells you about the like the time frame that she's been working on this like that is kind of impressive True, true, 100%. And it was so, um, I loved how she addressed um, the people she wrote the poem for, and she addressed the first lady as Dr. Biden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you know about the whole controversy behind that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, the Wall Street Journal really has not been our friend, ever. <laughs> no, what, what I want to say, oh my god, yeah, about the Florida thing. So, um, this is completely unrelated, but so um 45 I don't even want to say his name anymore because he's out of office but you know he wanted to have this like military send-off that didn't happen and none of the his like GOP former allies came there and so apparently some staffer had like told journalists that they had been so desperate to get people to this like farewell event that the invitation had said you plus five plus ones like they wanted everyone to like bring five people and the call time for this event was like 6 15 in the morning like i'm sorry but no one's that loyal to him anymore like why would anyone do that for him anyway that was just like so characteristic and he really ended this era on like yeah no an archetypal note just i didn't know yeah, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Also talking about uh, kind of related, but also unrelated things. Have you have you watched uh, Macklemore's rap, Tramps Over? Oh my God, no. Is it bad? No, it's. I thought it was genius. I actually thought it was genius. <laughs> I haven't watched the whole thing. Uh, I haven't watched the whole thing, but like the lyrics was 
was really good because he addressed all the issues of American politics, like from not calling white supremacist um, terrorists. And he was also talking about his own identity as a white man and um, the hypocrisy of the liberal left that doesn't want to recognize the systemic racism, racism problem that the US has and focuses more on things like the environment and recycling and um, which, you know, are also important issues, but not that are not as pervasive in American society. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was, I thought it was really good. Like it, it was, was really good. Mm, but I haven't finished it. So I, I'm, I don't know if there's going to be a plot, plot twist that's going to make me change my mind. <laughs> I don't know. I have yet to hear some like really convincing commentary about racism from a white man or like, you know, and I, I, I like, I really mean that because sometimes just the feeling that you get from, <clears throat> oh my God, sorry. <clears throat> Bless you. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes just the feeling that you get from like white artists, like white guy artists and white women as well, when they like make songs about this type of thing, it's like, it's very self-serving in a way. Um, and it just often doesn't feel genuine. I haven't listened to the rap, so maybe this one is, I don't know. But um, speaking of sort of um, the left talking about unrelated things, the way that like people made, okay, I'm gonna say that again. There was a really, really annoying article that I read that was titled, having Lady Gaga sing at the inauguration and making comments directed at Trump wasn't very unifying. And I just have like, I am so tired of this. I am so tired of people wanting to spin unity as like, oh, we should be like cozying up to fascists. Like, no, that's, that's antithetical. I'm so tired of this lazy rhetoric where people are like, oh, okay, unity must mean that we need to pretend like we don't disagree on really fundamental human rights issues, you know? And that was just something, it was not just this article, which by the way, wasn't finished. I'm gonna link it down below, but I don't expect there to be a lot of people who can read it. But um, this lazy rhetoric of an absolute definition of unity as opposed to reading unity as like call for truth and equality and just like sensible living together you know which has not been the case these past four years yeah it sounds um this kind of these kind of articles are usually the kind of articles that we also read like in italian um news media news coverage by the way my government almost collapsed this week <laughs> but well, that's it fun. didn't <laughs> yeah nothing new on the western front anyways um no but these kind of like these articles with these kind of titles like always make me feel like the journalist is just finger pointing at some flaws for the sake of finding one and for the sake of you know writing an opinion piece on it and you know showing their take their angle on it and yeah I don't right know. which is you know in a way you can't blame them because in this day and age clicks is what makes money um clicks are what makes money this wasn't a journalist though this was a political science researcher like she is a career academic and basically like her argument was that having lady gaga who was a an anti-trump activist and you know there's like apparently very political figure which i d don't see her as 
is not a unifying move. And, you know, you can't help but think that that kind of goes into the same line of argument as people saying like, oh my God, like they didn't have any white people perform. I mean, like hypothetically, because Lady Gaga is white, but like, oh my God, they only had like people of color perform. This is such like a political thing. And it's like, you know, if you're insinuating that having like only white men there would be like the apolitical thing to do then that's the problem like you realize how that's the problem I don't know just <laughs> I kind of want to keep the hopeful vibe of this going um so no no further comments on that uh but yeah okay um so before we move on, there was something I wanted to share. Um, so our podcast usually comes out every Monday and next Monday is a very particular date for the Italian foreign policy uh, scene which, because it marks the 50th anniversary from the death of Giulio Regeni, who was a researcher, ex-UWC um, alumni um, in Egypt, and he was basically rewriting his PhD um, on uh, um, Egyptian labor unions. And um, it's the story is quite unclear, but um, it ended up with him getting killed, um, probably by the Egyptian government, actually by the Egyptian Egyptian government, and being tortured. And ever since, um, the government, uh, the Italian government, has taken basically no op- no action for his justice. And so, yeah, I think it's important to remember that, especially because in Italy, we would have a march in the major cities um, with Amnesty International and, uh, and the committee that was created um, following, his, following this event, but it's not gonna happen because of Corona. So just, yeah, remember that someone um, was tortured unjustly uh, for finding out the truth about the social, um, the social context of Egypt and the labor unions. Yes, thank you, Sophia. Sophia and the Italian community at LPC. I remember both of our years were very involved in this um, and just bringing it to everyone's attention and that's, um, we value that. So thank you. And we'll be keeping Giulio in our hearts this Monday. Well, so, God, okay, this has been like such a heavy intro to this. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, okay. Um, no, but I've like had such like a, I don't know why, but my week was really weird. Like one night I was on Twitter and this Nike ad came and I'm sure you've seen it. It's the one that starts with like, oh, when we show emotion they call us hysterical and like, yeah, and it ends with like, it's only crazy until you do it just do it and it's like all these female athletes like just being very passionate about their sport really like you know there's someone kind of smashing their racket against the flu and the type of thing that Serena Williams got um, scolded for and I was just you know it started playing on my feed and I was like emo and then DT icon WNBA white mamba comes on I'm just like crying because I love her like she's like my idol anyway yeah no just been a very (laughs) unstable week at the circus 
It's been <laughs> the stable week of the circus. Same. It's been a quite interesting week for me too because um, in Milan we are in the like level of restriction that is the highest. So uh, we don't have shops open. Like you can only just only some certain shops are open. Blah blah blah. Uh, same story, same old. Um, but I've been into decorating my apartment, and so I got um, these art posters, and I just got some plants. Um, but it was so it was such a weird week because I felt um, I kept going to university uh, to meet my classmates and study with them. But then at night I had the strangest dreams. I dreamt in Spanish. <laughs> I dreamt no. in Spanish. It was so it was the weirdest thing ever. And <laughs> and then and then I would wake up in the morning and be this like you know household lady with her plants and the posters but had like the craziest sh shit on my mind at night but yeah I guess I it happens. Some, I've had this recurring dream of giving birth and it's scary like it's horrible oh my god oh I my don't know god. why it creeps <laughs> me out if someone's like um so, like a psychic into this type of thing can you like dm me and tell me what my subconscious is trying to process because i'm not sure and it's like the scariest thing is that like in my dream i'll be having this dream and somehow like my consciousness is still like lucid enough for me to be thinking like oh my god oh my god oh my god this is happening I can't like finish my degree there were so many things that I wanted to do before having kids I'm way too young like <gasps> and then I wake up and I'm just not rested at all because I've been so stressed oh <laughs> but um is it time to move into the actual thing we wanted to talk about sure yeah let's do it so in, in stark contrast to the things that we have discussed so far, um, the theme of this one is a fun one. We, as bilingual people, want to talk to you about the struggles of being multilingual and just, you know, all the brain farts that come with that. So, Sophia, why don't you get us started by just, you know, what languages do you speak and what's your general experience with that? Okay, so I speak, basically, Italian is my mother tongue. I speak English fluently. I would say I'm fully bilingual in Italian and English. I know Spanish from the, like, B1 to fluency level. It depends on how much I refresh it. And since this year, I've been learning Mandarin, but I still have a lot of room to grow with that one. How about you, Elsa? Uh, I speak five, which I want to right off the bat say that is so much less impressive than what people make it out to be sometimes. And I'm going to say why in just a second. But um, so I speak English, which I think at this point is my most fluent language, regrettably. And then German, Finnish, Swedish and Russian with Russian being the one that I've been studying at uni. And I'm like B1 now, I think. Um, and okay, so the reason I say that me speaking five languages is a lot less impressive than what people make it out to be is not that I don't have like respect for people who learn languages, like completely the opposite. The reason I feel bad taking credit for speaking languages is because for me, apart from Russian, it's been just entirely circumstantial. Like it's literally just been because of where I went to school and stuff. 
and just also I think in Europe and I think you'd agree with this is that because of geography and like history culture that rewards people speaking multiple languages in Europe for us it's very normal to be like multilingual like my entire family um are polyglots just because of that's how that's that's how it happened and then for example like uh Koya Misha my good friend at NID he speaks like Russian and Ukrainian and English and learned French at school and now he's doing Japanese and that's like the most normal thing ever you know which by the way like Ukrainian Russian not the same thing before anyone comes at me <laughs> I watched um Dov Model Ukrainsky and the judges I think in that contract are only like allowed to speak Ukrainian and it was a struggle like I could get like the general gist of what they were saying but I had to fill in everything else with what the girls like the participants who often spoke Russian had to say anyway unrelated um whereas in the states <laughs> you know the stereotype of Americans is that they only speak English and not even that very well <laughs> and so <laughs> and so the experience that I've had like by the way like Americans that I know speak English perfectly well. Like, please don't come at me. We made it like 20 minutes into the podcast without any America slander. This has to be like a personal best. Um, the experience that I've had with Americans is that so international students, you can tell them that you've lived in 15 countries and you speak 20 languages and they'll be like, cool, me too, next. Domestic students, they're like, whoa, what? oh my god and then they'll ask you to speak Russian to you and then I do because I'm a nice person <laughs> but yeah yeah no that's there's some really fun stories that come out of that that's interesting because I had a completely opposite experience um it's true that like in Europe, there's this culture to speak multiple languages or to, you know, at least like everyone knows their own like country's language and English. Like that's just like the bare minimum. But in a country like Italy, uh, there's such a generational gap between like grandparents or even my parents and us like young people. And, and you know, um, because like when you're like, if you live in Italy, you need to know Italian like there's no other way you can speak English and that's something that you know doesn't happen to someone that's like an in that has English as its first language like you know someone that lives in the UK or in the US or whatever or in Australia um because you like you already speak the language that everyone will speak to you in a foreign country and whereas in Italy you really have to adapt to it and it's so fun because when I came back to from Hong Kong to Milan I would introduce myself as, you know, I'm Sophia, I'm the girl from Bologna, and people would be like, okay, cool. And then, you know, they would hear me speak um, English and be like, well, how do you do, how do you speak English so well? Like, you don't have the Italian accent and <laughs> speak English. I mean, I hope I don't, but, um, and, and I, I would just be like, oh yeah, it's because I lived in Hong Kong for two years. And they all go like 50% of them go, oh my God, this is so cool. So have you learned speaking like Chinese? And the other 50% goes, so can you speak Japanese? <laughs> and I'm like, nope, like, neither of them. Cause I learned some Cantonese just to, you know, exert power over my roommate Isis that like told me Cantonese. Uh, to survive in Hong Kong and, <laughs> and Mandarin isn't spoken in Hong Kong and neither Japanese um, for the record, but yeah. 
that's great uh I'm interested so when you when you meet people in like an international setting do people usually guess that you're Italian so this is a good question because if when people look at me at this I didn't have this experience at LPC because I was just you know like the Italian girl um but in Italy it happens to me so many times that people were like so where are you actually from and I'm like I'm from Bologna. Why? It's like, but you don't look Italian. Like, <laughs> do you, are you sure? Like, is, is your mom like from some other place? And they told me that, you know, I look Turkish. I look, um, I look Thai. I look Arab. Hi. Um, I don't, I don't know why. Interesting. It's because I have okay. dark features. Yeah. Interesting. Oh no, that's so funny. Okay. But like one thing I will say is that like Italy is a good example of how like, white people can look very very different from each other I think like the most common thing that people would imagine is someone like me who's like light-haired and blue-eyed but you know in Italy there's someone like you who has like very olive tones and there's Chiara Ferrani who looks like a lot more like me mm-hmm. which is interesting yeah. yeah no that's I didn't know that I have never <laughs> we've never talked about this <laughs> yeah, when I was when I was was when I was small, I was convinced that my mom adopted me. I literally like one one day I like oh, looked God. for pictures of my mom's like when she was pregnant with me because I was like, well, this is not true. And I even asked it like I was at the beach with my mom, and I would like be way more way tanner than my mom because I would stay with my grandparents. So I'd been like sunbathing for like a month, whereas my mom had been working in the city. And like people would come up and be like, oh this is such a wonderful thing to do to give, to give a child a better opportunity and my mom is like yo she's my I'm kid dead. <laughs> oh my god I cannot oh my god yeah that is oh my god why have I never heard this story this is hilarious no. I don't know it's it's really common like it's really common among my Italian friends like it literally always happens and once I was at this um demonstration with my Peruvian friend and a Peruvian guy approaches me it's like are you Spanish I'm like no but I can speak Spanish he's like are you Spanish or are you Peruvian I'm like no I'm Italian the girl next to me is Peruvian <laughs> so funny oh my god oh interesting yeah for me um no one ever guesses that I'm finished. like truly no one ever which like I can't blame people because it's like a five million person country like I wouldn't that wouldn't be my first guess either the fun thing is that with Americans it's like without fail it is always the same script that we go through like it starts out with them being like oh my god I love your accent like are you from London I'm like no god no I'm not English (laughs) and then then it's like oh okay it's um Sweden no Dutch no and then by the third guess they kind of run out of people like they run out of countries where they know there are blonde people and then they're like oh so where are you from and I'm like I'm from Finland and they're like where's Finland and then I'm like it's between Sweden and Russia and they're like oh gotcha and then you can't really be sure if they really know where it is anyway no (laughs) have never been have have never been no actually no wait I did get South African once someone thought it was South African okay yeah that you know if they think you're Dutch you could it could be it could be exactly colonizers anyway um <laughs> I don't know what, how we got into this um 
I asked you if you would be pegged as Italian. Right, yeah. What was I trying to get at? I think you were trying to get at um, the fact that we speak multiple languages, we have mixed up identities and and we also get, well, I personally get mixed up in conversation. Like I code switch all the time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because I have a hard time believing that people don't code switch because I do so much. Like yesterday I was at the, yesterday I was at the hairdressers and I was sat there for three and a half hours and the entire time I was speaking Finnish and literally when I tell you that that felt like an accomplishment I'm, <laughs> I'm being serious because I my like Finnish speaking family and my Finnish friends would tell me that I sound when I speak Finnish like a person who's lived abroad a lot which is true you know you can't get offended by that but my hairdresser didn't say anything I didn't switch into like English once and I was like oh my god this feels like an accomplishment because with my sister and this is really funny and I love to talk about this because it's really entertaining is um the background of this of course is that um we moved to Berlin from Helsinki when I was six and she was four so we were very very little and you know how little kids are like your brain is very plastic I went to a German school in January the only thing I remember is I cried the first week because I couldn't understand anything. Probably cry the second week too. And then in the summer, I'm going to have a wild guess and say that we probably came back to Helsinki for the holidays because I don't remember. But then I went into second grade and suddenly was speaking German like a little German girl. My sister pick it up, picked it up a lot quicker because she was in kindergarten. She was full, like she was a baby. And what happened was that I remember that for years in our family, we had this like a rule, but not a rule that we were not allowed to speak German at home. And the thing is like, that's not how kids work, of course. So my sister and I would be like, German was our play language. So we'd be speaking German to each other. And now I'm 21, she's 19. And if you look at our text conversations, it's like two lines in Finnish, then like some Swedish in there, then five lines in English, because neither of us can remember anything. Then there's some like German word in there, and then it goes back to Finnish. And it's like perfectly mutually intelligible. But to anyone else, it would make a really good linguistic case study. That's fun. Yeah, no, this is um, this is similar to when I talk to Canon or Edo, uh, which are my babies. Um, <laughs> and Canon, Edo and Camilla are my babies. So basically, they're my first year. So they were first year students in LPC. They were sent by the Italian National Committee. So Italian. Um, but ever since like we met, we always been like, and it's not like it's not a matter of laziness. It's just that I don't know the words, and um, and it, like the way you communicate your thoughts in English is just so much more direct and practical than what you would do in Italian. Like, good Italian is three sentences, three sentences is long. English is literally subject, verb, object. That's it, and um, and so it happens to us all the time and we start speaking in Italian, but then the, the conversation, the argument like, is like super complex and requires like deep thought and reflection. And we just switch to English because in English you can just go A, B, C, D, point one, point two, point three, And 
that's not as smooth and as fast or like practical to do in another language. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Do you think that, um, d- would you say that Italian for you is like personally more of like an emotional language? Like not just like objectively, but like, would you be more comfortable expressing emotion in Italian or English? That's actually a very interesting question I asked myself because, um, so I have a journal and I like write on it and like reflect on it. And I was looking through it the other day and then literally sometimes I would just write a journal entry in Italian or one full in English. And sometimes I do both, like I mix them up. And the reason why I mix them up is because Italian is way more figurative in a sense. I think it's, it's way easier to play with metaphors and, um, you know, symbolism than in English. Um, where, but English is just way more rational as a language. So what I tend to do is that I start with this very tangled thought in Italian because I don't know, the, the language just lends itself better to that kind of job. Um, and then I would switch to English to rationalize it. <laughs> That's so interesting. Huh, but, okay. But I must say like, it's, I think it's way more of an emotional language to me because if I think about swear words, like swearing, like the level of satisfaction that I get by swearing in Italian, the level of exhale that I get, it's just not the same as in, as in English. Like it's just not as satisfactory. How about you? I, uh, English swear words just don't get the job done. Like it's I, lame. I, <laughs> yes, because I don't, I don't like swearing in Finnish at all because it's like violent. Like it feels really like, you know, whereas like German and Swedish swear words, I don't find that good either, to be honest. Like with Finnish, it's because it's, a, it's an agglutinative language. So the grammatical structure is just entirely different from, uh, from Germanic languages or Romance. And so you can like stack words onto each other to make like a really big swear word. And it's just, you know, there's a reason why Finnish parents are like very, very strict about swearing is because those words actually have a lot of kind of emotional baggage. But about just like which language for me is like the most emotional, it's actually kind of sad. I think that's um, English for me again is like my most fluent language and the, the language that I find myself like I'm like most myself but not really like I can express myself the best in English but when I'm for example at mid and I can just like you know <laughs> make a joke in like Swedish no one speaks Finnish there. there is one Finnish girl who's coming next year so I'll have that and that's very cool and I'm very excited about that but you know like if you could just get to like throw around like a Swedish phrase like it makes you feel really at home but I can't write journal entries in anything but English because then it takes time and I'm sure I could if I actually like put my mind to it and was like I am going to start writing a journal in German It'll be really hard for like a week. I'd get used to it. But um, in terms of like ease and directness, I completely agree with what you said about English just being kind of like an ABC language. And yeah. That's interesting. I also found that um, 
my like the language I would uh, I would write in my journalities will also depend a lot on whether I was reflecting upon a person I interact with in English or in Italian and and so yeah when I was like writing about you know friends at LPC I would write it in English all the time but when I was writing about Italian friends or friends that I met at uni I would write in Italian um I don't know why but I guess it's because like my memory and my mind um, registered all these interactions in these two languages. So I also differentiate it when I think about them. Does the same happen to you? Like, do you think about your mom in like, or your sister like in Finnish or your like mother tongue and your uni friends in English? Or do you think of people in the same language? Now that I think of it, yeah. Like, yeah, I compartmentalize my friends by language a lot. That's true. Oh my god yeah well okay so the thing is like with I speak with finished with my mum and I um it's been it's, it's been really weird because in a sense my mum speaks really good Finnish like truly really good Finnish um which is hard to do because Finnish is hard and sometimes when I'm having conversations with her I feel like we're just like on entirely different levels because it takes me like a lot of brain power sometimes especially if we're talking about like I'd be talking about my like thesis to her or something like that and it just takes so much energy that I don't feel like the conversation really flows with my Finnish friends the thing is that we code switch so much just for rhetorical purposes that that's just really easy like I can easily switch into whatever language I need to to get the point across with my mom I feel bad doing that because it's because I feel like it's bad finish like oh my god like I should be able to like have this conversation properly um which is just really hard sometimes but uh, yeah no I do one oh, reason I, why I, I, yeah. I, I feel you I feel you I'm like thinking about it now and I'm starting to feel like maybe one of the reasons why I because you said that English is a very rational language and on some level, I feel like the reason why I write like journal entries in English is because it's removed. And if I start like writing in a language that I spoke as a kid, it's going to be too real. Like it's mm. going to be like too visceral. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Um, I was wondering about, oh, actually two things. So one, I feel you so much about talking with your mom in your mother tongue because I, I literally feel like I'm an eight-year-old, especially when explaining concepts. And I can see my mom getting annoyed and being like, oh my God, this kid can speak anymore. Um, so yeah, but uh, second, I wanted to ask you, um, so you know, it's, it's kind of, it's code switching because it's like subconscious, like as it, I'm going to describe that situation to you. So I am in a shop. I am in Milan, let's say. I'm in a shop in Milan or like some part of the world, whatever. And I'm like looking at stuff, walking through it, and suddenly someone hits me and I just go, excuse me, in English. Like, does that happen to you sometimes? <laughs> um, for sure. Like, um, I, yeah, I say all sorts of shit. And then the bad thing is that when you start in one language, you have to continue. Like, that's the role that you have adopted for that day. So you're going to have to perform. <laughs> that's definitely happened to me um in a like a really um this is really funny I walked into a store this summer and I was looking at a bag and 
I was, I think we were talking on the phone right before I went in. And so my brain was like, we are speaking English today. And this, this shop assistant, of course, speaks Finnish, like we're in Helsinki. But I start in English and in my mind, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> oh, like, I oh my God, because I'm, I'm standing there and I'm like, because the thing is like, I don't have like a Finnish accent. So if I st start speaking English to a Finnish person, they're going to like, they're going to continue with that. They're going to run with that. But I'm like, oh my God, like I can't just like suddenly be like, oh, by the way, like my I'm like I speak Finnish because I'm going to sound like such an asshole. Like I'm going to look like a pretentious bitch. And so, oh, yeah. And so then I was in the store for probably an hour, ha like having this like weird transatlantic character and it it was bad it was really bad that's so funny you know what happened to me so um one of one of my um one of my friends from uni um was a german guy uh was visiting and so we were like at a was visit like was uh, going around um Bologna so it was like oh do you want to show me around I was like yeah yeah sure I actually didn't like I didn't I don't even know him that well but I was like yeah we're not um let's show him the city so we sit in like in this cafe and then I I I got so mixed up with the language because I'd been speaking to him um in English all the time and so when the when the wait so when the waiter comes I go to him in Italian so what do you want to order and then I turn to the waiter and I tell him in English so he wants like a prosecco <laughs> and, then, and, and he was just and he, he looked at me and both of them looked at me like oh my god is she crazy <laughs> it was so funny it happens to me all the time <laughs> yes oh my god my favorite thing is um we go to Berlin every year pretty much and um we are these like three tall like blonde women who like I mean like Germans come in all colors but you know we don't we we look like very scandy when we're together or we're sitting at a table and it's exactly the same situation where we'll be speaking like Finnish amongst each other and then the waiter comes and we all look up and like switch into German and the waitress is just like what's going on like oh <laughs> and it's such a flex honestly yeah. but yeah do you um speaking of like characters in different languages do you find that your voice changes I always wonder that like I think I do and I also think that my personality changes um I yeah, think my too. my voice in English is way more um high pitched than my voice in Italian. My voice in demo. Spanish. Okay, tell me tell me a sentence. Um tell me what you had for breakfast today. Okay. So for breakfast I had coffee and biscuits. Uh in Italian a colazione ho mangiato i biscotti con il caffè. Oh, you're so sexy in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can try. I can try and say. I can try and say for. Um, wait, I don't know. Spanish. I think it's similar to Italian because I mean the sounds are similar. So, um, por el desayuno tomé un café con con. I don't remember how to say cookies. Lol. Uh, con yeah, cookies. I forgot. You know, Stop this is like this blushing. is the. <laughs> 
How about you? Oh, um, well, I always sound like a man, so there's no, no like real. <laughs> I used to be no seriously I used to be so like insecure about having like a relatively low voice for a woman now it's just all part of the brand you know um but in German my voice is so low like ridiculously low in Finnish I think I sound a lot more femme Swedish is the same because I speak Finland Svenska so like the the inflection is the exact same and then in Russian I have been told I, I I wish that I had like a Russian spy, like I could be like Svetlana. No, like I have two good friends who speak Russian and they've both told me that I have like a very cute way of speaking Russian, which I hate, but I also really like the way that I sound in Russian at the same time, so. Okay, go ahead. Tell me what you had for breakfast. <laughs> in, in Russian. Yeah, and uh, in English, so we can hear the difference. Oh my god, okay. Um, for breakfast today, I had porridge and coffee. Zavtrak, yayela kashu, i coffee. Yeah, you sound so cute. No, stop, she's getting this with Elsa. It's a much cute. You sound so cute. You sound so cute. Um, yeah. But I don't I mind your voice. Or me I feel you. Me like neither. I don't think I don't think I have a pretty feminine voice, but like I literally sound like a frog. Especially when I re-listen to our podcast, I I my voice sounds so I don't know so deep, but it's not deep. It's like that weird mix that guys have when they're 13 and they're hitting puberty. <laughs> oh my God, I'm dead. No, you know, um, at least we have that in common on those podcasts that you don't have to be listening to this like, I'm Elsa and Sophia. Like you, you can just listen to two, <laughs> you, you, can, you can just be listening to two men <laughs> speak at the same time. I get confused about the names. Oh my God. <laughs> They call themselves feminine names. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, back to the topic was, um, like, yes, voices change, but you were talking about, um, like, subconsciously choosing the wrong language. My sister and I, like, have learned to do that very consciously, and it's so rude, and I want everyone to know that my mother definitely doesn't condone this, and she has let us know that, but so we'd go to, like, family events, my sister and I were like the like the weird foreigners in our family anyway like people don't believe that we're Finnish like we're not Finnish enough to be in the family um and like that's a whole conversation by itself but um sometimes we'd be at like parties and you know like we've made an appearance we've said hi to everyone we've mingled and then we'll be like this was at like a graduation party a couple of years ago we were like standing in the kitchen because it was empty and just like speaking German to each other because when we speak German to each other Finns are so like scared that if you speak a foreign language they will not approach you mm. <laughs> so yeah yeah it's like a trauma response 
I mean, I've done that too. And I've done that with Antia so many times that we would just speak in Italian to trash talk without people understanding us. I don't know, it's, it's bad. It's bad. We shouldn't do it. I agree. Uh, I've done the trash talk too. The thing is that I've had really bad experiences with trash talking because you would think that if I like German, English, Swedish, like very widely spoken, relatively Finnish, you know, five million people, you'd think that like it's hard to come by someone in like a foreign country who speaks it. Not true. I've had so many instances where we've been speaking Finnish with my sister, apparently in secret. And then like back, like behind us in the line is like a Finnish woman. Uh, we'll be like, oh my God, no, territory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? That's a happen- that hasn't happened to me yet, actually, so I'm not sure. Wait, you haven't met Ital- randomly seen Italians? Okay, no, like, when I did that in Hong Kong, no, like, there was this, like, there's, like, 30 Italians in Hong Kong. But I could never do that in London, for example. Like, in London, I hear Italian, like, being spoken way more than English. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and about, you know, code switching and mixing up. Have you ever made up your own words? All the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> it um sorry, I got a burp really bad. Um, <laughs> um happens all the time. I can't like give you an example off the top of my head. The thing is, like, it's mostly things that I think are completely correct. I think like in my mind make perfect sense. And then someone's listening to it and it's like, what the fuck is she trying to say? <laughs> like, this is not a real word. And sometimes it happens with like mixing up idioms, like, you know, can't like come up with anything right now. But yeah, I feel like a bit of a clown when that happens. Oh, 100%. Like I say them with such high conviction, like such high conviction. Like the, <laughs> I, the other day I was... Um, I was revising uh, for like some one of my friends and I was like oh yeah like um I wanted to say like the word like hypothesize like I, I, I whatever and because we were talking about hypothesis and then I, I just made up a word that was like similar to that but just like the Italian translation and my friends she just blank stares at me and she's like Tezo what the fuck did you say and Tezo literally just means like sweetie like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> she's like you should be ashamed of yourself and I'm like yeah I know oh my god yeah no my friends hate me too like um I can speak English very consistently without like making any mistakes um but Finnish whole different deal like when I'm with, with my Finnish speaking friends it's like every other word is in English because I'm lazy <laughs> and then inevitably I like this was this is something that happens all the time is that in English you can say virtually and it doesn't mean like has doesn't have anything to do like with digital anything it's just like you know basically and um then I had to go to my mum and I'd be like virtual is este and she's like what the fuck <laughs> like that's not <laughs> like oh that my is goodness, not like <laughs> 
Oh my God. This is the funniest thing because I have a problem with translating the word exciting in Italian. Because like you can't say I like, know exactly I where this is going. Because <laughs> like, like, like in English you're like, oh I'm excited, you know, like you're looking like you you, you know you're you I don't know, like you're excited, you have like, the anticipation, the expectation, it's something you're looking forward to. But saying you're excited in Italy just means that you're horny. And so like I remember I was like, how do you feel about your first day of video? I'm like, I am excited. <laughs> and people oh look to me like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> oh my god, it's, it's it's always that word. It's always excited, that's the problem. So I remember vividly, I like still cry laugh at this sometimes. Is um two guys from BTS. Um, I think it was Tae Young and Hosok probably. Um, that means nothing to you, but um, I know they, who they were. Are. Oh, you know? Okay. Yeah. Oh, never mind. So they were like on V Live um, and reading comments in Korean. And there was like an international fan who was probably learning Korean or had to use like a translator. And they, the English translation was like, Are you excited to go back home? Like, are you excited to go back to Korea? from tour and you can just see that they're like reading the korean on the screen and like dying inside because <laughs> then like and these are very modest guys right like you know also just because of like korean culture like they're quite conservative in public um and you can just see that like in that moment they're like 20 something year old like disgustingness came out <laughs> You know how 20 something year old guys are like they're just like yeah no um and Taeyong goes not that excited because <laughs> again it's like the horny thing <laughs> I oh love that that's God. just like a transnational thing honestly exciting is a problematic word <laughs> anyways but um you know speaking of languages and you know how languages are shaped the way you think I had two things to say so first is I watched this um TED talk because during um the first lockdown in March like the very first time we heard about COVID and we didn't really know what was going on but we we're just locked in our houses I used to have this thing where we watch a TED talk every day with one of my friends and we would discuss it and so one of the one of the ones I came across is the one by this uh cognitive scientist um I hope I'm not butchering the pronunciation of her name, um, Lera Borodetsky, um, who talks about you know, how language shapes the way you think. And she was giving the example of this Aboriginal community in Australia. She studied that doesn't say left or right. They only say like cardinal directions. They say north, left, south, east, west. And it's so, it's so funny because when they say hello, they, they say, like, they're saying hello, which way are you going? And even their conception of time is based on the cardinal direction. So they don't organize time, uh, you know, from, you know, left to right, like someone speaking any Western language uh, would do um, by seeing, you know, the natural progression, but they organize it in terms of the direction to which the sun sets. Because that's the pattern. That's insane. It's insane, right? Think of like how different your brain is wired exactly and they she she studied their brain and they had like such a developed sense of you know 
orientation and that just and that demonstrates you know how they say that you know animals are way better at orienting themselves in nature because you know you know they're in nature blah 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 but it actually turns out it's just a matter of you know practicing being accustomed to that and so they're like wired the same way as you know people wouldn't think human could be but it's just a matter of your language making you like have this kind of thought pattern and brain process right yeah and I mean it I mean I'm not like an evolutionary biologist by any means but like I could imagine that that's been like a like a common feature thousands of years ago in humans um that we've just lost when you know languages develop these like left right things but do you think there's anything um Right. But do you think there's anything like distinctive of the, one of the languages that you speak that either shapes the way you think or your personality? Uh, well, <clears throat> lots of things I could probably think of, but the one that I always come back to is that Finnish doesn't have, like grammatically Finnish doesn't have a future tense. So like you... You, you can say like you can get around it and you can say that things are in the future and people will know what you mean or like a native speaker can like pick that out but it's not like technically a grammatical feature and so okay okay let me think about this for a minute so like, anything that you say in Finnish that is in the future is like you're saying it in the present so it's like a very certain thing. Mm -hmm. It expresses that in like present tense, basically. Um, and I think that's, I, I think that like does something to you. I think it might say something about how like, things like a very in the moment and everything is like, you know, conception of time is just like on like a shorter span, if, if that makes sense. But I don't know, I, I think that's like a really interesting thing interesting no, um, no for me I mean the biggest difference in terms you know emotions is how in Italian like English only has I love you and Italian has two ways of saying that like you have ti amo which is like super strong and it's the literal translation of I love you and then you have ti voglio bene which is like I want good like I want good for you like I don't even know how to translate it but there are just two completely different levels like when you say ti amo is like shit's real like there's like a deep relationship with that and you wouldn't say that to your parent like you, you would say that to your like husband or like lover but you wouldn't you yeah like tivo yubene is used for friends and everything else and i always found found it hard to you know um express that in english and like even when i had a relationship with uh, where i was speaking english with the with, with my ex-boyfriend and um and, you know, at first, like, I got used to it, but it was weird to say, I love you, and not ti amo, because of the way it's used so universally in the language. That makes sense to me. I've heard similar things from my friends who speak Spanish. That's like yeah. a very similar thing. Yeah. In Finnish, you can get around that. Like, you, like if you want to say, like, like, that's like, whoa, like... <laughs> but but you can like very easily say like oh trakas like rakas is just like you know it translates to like beloved that's very formal but um 
you can like you can, there are more casual ways to say that you are like important to someone that's actually something that english lacks quite a lot i'm now realizing there aren't like casual ways to tell people that like you're important to me that sounds really forward but right. yeah about like the formality thing at the beginning i said that i like definitely do have respect for people who go out of the way to learn languages but for me it was circumstantial one reason why i say that is because i have just immense respect for adults like especially uh asylees in finland who have to learn finnish to get a job like they like you just have to as you said like in italy you have to speak italian like there's no way to get around it the thing that makes finnish so hard is not just that it has 14 cases um which if you don't come from a language that has cases i don't know if arabic has them i have never studied it but um someone can tell me but um the written and the the and the spoken are completely different like i have always told people who ask me about finnish that's if you are like uh, like an adult who's learning finnish and you learn the written the formal and you go out to like a bar and you start speaking like formal finnish to people like they'll punch you cuz they they'll think that you're like messing with them cuz it sounds so like it can sound really passive aggressive like in a really weird really? way like speaking speaking formally can be seen as super rude and that's why like i'm so impressed when i hear like people who have come here at an older age and have like some like they have like idioms in their language and they use abbreviated words which is like the central feature of spoken finnish and i'm like oh my god cuz i don't know what's going on in finnish half the time So yeah. Interesting to say because um you know speaking formal uh, in Italian is expected. Um certain context like when you when you when I write an email to one of my professors I always I always use the formal Italian which is you basically address them in the third person. I remember I had such trouble um in LPC where you know you address your teachers with their first name to call them like that because he felt so casual I was like he's not my pal like he's my teacher you know there's this hierarchy uh, between me and him um so yeah it's interesting no I've had the same experience I remember that um so I didn't for the record like I've never gone to a Finnish school um so I spoke German at school for most of my life and German exactly the same like your teacher is not your pal like it's very very formal the language that you use and I felt super rude at LPC that I eventually got over but then um I was at language tables which is like this Millbury thing where when you learn a language your professors have you go and have lunch with other people who are learning the language and you, ha- you are only allowed to speak that and so naturally because there aren't a lot of german speakers at this um at the school I was being like a waitress for them so I was like playing the german speaking waitress was really fun <laughs> and i got paid for it so <clears throat> no complaints but i would hear them and they were like speaking to their professors in the informal you and i was like gospaji no <laughs> and, and then i remember like sometimes you know because it was like it wasn't like a serious waitressing job right so i could I, and like my friends 
sometimes would be at the tables I'd sit down with them and the professors knew that I spoke German and they speak to me in du, the informal you, and I would feel offended. And I'd be like, that's not how you should talk to me. Like we're in an academic setting. And then I would like keep saying Z because it just, it just comes out like it's really natural. And they'd be like, oh, Elsa, you don't have to do that. Like you don't have to say <laughs> Z to me. And I was like, no, I will. Cause it's right. <laughs> yeah. But like, seriously, I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried sometimes when I listen to these people talk in the door to the professors. And I'm thinking about like, if you go to an exchange program, for example, in Germany, to a German university, and you're speaking to your professors and you've learned the do, and that's like your reflex, like you will get kicked out. It doesn't fly. <laughs> like speaking informally to like your superiors does not fly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you just think about it in Italy in high school, when the professor walks into the room, you have to stand up and then you sit. We did the same thing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which kind of feels like culty now. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Do we have something? Oh, what language do you dream in? Oh, that's um, English, Italian, and Spanish. Spanish is very rare, but it happened to me like five times um english and italian yes and sometimes i have both languages in the dream i remember i had this dream um where i was late to sandy's class sandy was my english teacher in hong kong and so i was like oh my god i'm late i'm late i'm late i was thinking about this and then i got into the class and my high school classmates like they're all italian are sitting there and so i started saying like ciao like what are you doing here <laughs> and and then then there was sandy speaking news to me like sophia you're late i'm gonna mark i'm gonna mark that you're late <laughs> and i was like oh my god what's going on like i was confused myself like in the dream because they were like both talking to me in two languages but it happens to me so many times and i sometimes speak in my sleep um and i say it both like english and italian yeah how about you I, honest to God, don't know. Like, I don't know. I um, have no idea. I, I have a lot of really familiar scenes in my, in my sleep, like, visually. Um, and, like, can, you know, recall dreams and they're in places that I've actually been in. Language, no idea. Absolutely no clue. Um, and it's the same with my thinking, where... If it's like academic, then sure, in English, obviously. But other than that, I have no clue. Like I definitely, there are people who are like, I think in images. And I, I know, I don't think I think in images. I think it's just like a big mushed up ball of just <laughs> confusion. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a confusing mind. It's a confusing mind. <laughs> I actually like seriously I'm, I'm again like I dread the day that I have children not because of any other reason but that I have to speak to them in like one language because it's really bad for like kids brains apparently when they have like one parent speak multiple languages to them like if you're raising a multilingual child 
you should have like one parent speak one language and that's it so they can like have kind of clear boundaries I suppose but for me it's like completely non-negotiable that I want my kids to learn Finnish because if they don't learn it as a child they're never gonna you know um Mm -hmm. and I probably won't live in Finland realistically so it's like very important to me my Finnish is shit I am so scared like I'm gonna have some like barely literate children it's okay they're gonna send them over summer to grandma and they're gonna come back speaking Finnish better than you except I don't think my mom is gonna live here either that's okay but she'll speak Finnish to them that's true she'll speak her perfect perfect professional Finnish to them yeah oh god now I'm stressed (laughs) so I could never forgive myself if my kids didn't speak Finnish because I'm like culturally confused enough as is and the fact that I can like read literature that's not in English is a huge thing for me like it kind of keeps me connected but um yeah god no 100% my kids have to speak Italian like 100% um it would also like cut them off from such a huge part of my family that doesn't speak English that well so yeah yeah absolutely but yeah no my my Italian is shit like I 100% like grammatically wise it's so bad like I speak Italian to the level of like I don't know 12 year old on the best days eight year old on the average (laughs) yes no it's like I've like I've thing is I've barely ever wait let me no, I've had like a couple years of formal Finnish education in my life, like Finnish language education, I mean. I am not equipped to be the Finnish speaking parent. <laughs> I am underqualified, but I'm not going to be the person who like speaks English to their kids and then they are like, yeah, no, not happening. We'll see. We'll see. Well, okay, so now we're like over an hour in and this has been fascinating, but we forgot to do the don't even get me started of the day. Whoopsie daisy. Whoopsie hopson. <laughs> Sophia, what have you got in store for us? Okay, so it's going to be boring for all of you, but it's okay, I don't care. Um, okay, I'll be quick. So I thought it was... I was going to deviate from policy, although happy to talk about European policy proposals to regulate big techs, but maybe that's for another episode. Um, <laughs> so as a uwc I admit that I fall within the realm of those who sell themselves out to corporates. <laughs> but okay, no, actually, that's a bad intro. But I, okay, guys, I study economics in finance university. Okay, so I'm really passionate about finance and economics and art, which I don't study by I'm just really passionate about. And so I found out that there's this thing that exists that's called alternative investments. And for as fancy as the term sounds, it's just all kinds of investments that you, that you wouldn't even know are investments that like from you know because you usually think of an investment you know like buying bitcoin and you know buying stock options whatever and so art can be an investment and movies can be an investment 
and how does that actually work so basically movies are this kind of venture capital i mean the term the term is venture capital investment which means i have a great movie idea i find an angel investor which is someone with a shit ton of money it gives me the money i develop the idea i make the film and then the film that has a great success i make a sequel and then the investor lives off the royalties and the copyrights blah 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 and distribution rights ever again but what it so and I found that super interesting because you know the risk profile of a film also changes based on the genre of the movie and on the budget allocated to it. And I was, you know, like fun, and I was finding super interesting and I was trying to figure out whether I should write my dissertation on it. So I was like, okay, let me look at this like film investing thing. And I found this really interesting book that I've been kind of reading through, um, reading some chapters of from uh, this uh, investigative reporter, Edward Jane Epstein. Um, background on the guy is like a political science professor, or I think he has been uh, at Harvard and MIT. Um, is, is, this book is not one of his most famous. It's called uh, The Hollywood Economist, The Hidden Financial Reality Behind the Movies. And basically, he touches upon, you know, movie production, but the economics underlying it. And basically, what he says is that movie production is kind of like the Panama Papers, <laughs> because <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me explain. Because, Please do. Uh, there is, a, as he calls it, there is an invisible money machine behind it, um, especially with regards to big studios, because Hollywood studios have an official budget, which is the one, you know, that you read on the newspaper, like, oh, uh, producing Star Wars costed 100 million US dollars. And then they have the actual undisclosed production cost budget, which is what it costs like, to, make the, to make the movie. And he gives the example, like as a case study of Lara Croft. Do you know Lara Croft, like Tom Raider? Of course um, I do. Yeah, a like, great movie and great video game. And um, and so he had like Lara Croft had an official reported budget of ninety four million, but through his like investigation, he finds out it was actually actually costed eight point seven million, and there's like a eighty five million gap of difference. And how does Seriously? this work? Yeah. How does yes, please yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what the studio does is that the studio starts like financing round for external capital by selling distribution rights. So in the case of Larkov, they sell they sold it to different European countries. So they started marketing the movie to the rest of the world. And then they arranged the film to be filmed um, in the UK uh, for some of the scenes, which qualifies for tax relief in the US. And so then, of course, you know, as and then they, yeah. and so then they re, then they start with this like lease sales to British investors, and they sell it back, and they buy back the sale rights, and all those sorts of financial trickery, and then they sell the copyrights to a German tax shelter, and then they make money from that to pay the salaries for the actors. And I probably I'm not supposed to say that that's genius, but it's kind of genius. No, it's genius. And then, um, and then you know, they and this is like risk-free money because through these sales, they this these sales for them is just revenue. Like for the movie production, it's just revenue; it's not cost. And so, with these sales, they cover some of the costs and basically end up with eight point seven million of cost. And the eighty-five gap is all they earn from making the movie without even knowing if whether the movie is going to be successful or not. Right. So in the end, the risk profile is actually kind of. Like, it's kind of great. Yeah, it's great. Like, it's basically zero. And it's so... And it really got me thinking about, you know, um, the extent to which, you know, creativity and creative 
production is capitalized and monetized upon. Like in the book, he also uh, writes, uh, touches upon um, nudity and whether nudity in films is an asset or liability for a movie sale. Like whether you should have like sex scenes or not and whether that's, mm. it's gonna make you like, it's gonna make you money. And it's so weird to think of that as like an accounting item when it's like a form of artistic expression. And, um, but yeah, like I would be interesting to hear his opinion because I think he released the book in 2010, which I think it's way before like 50 Shades of Grey came out. Um, so probably this has changed, but yeah, so this is my nerdy obsession of the week. Um, thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> no, that's so interesting. I'm going to have to look into that. Um, about 50 Shades of, 50 shades of Grey. Uh, um, 50 Shades of Grey. I, okay, my non-expert opinion on this would be that 50 Shades of Grey is so in your face nudity and it's like, it's like erotica right so it's probably an asset because that's like a that is like main selling point but if we talk about like a different kind of romance movie okay romance movie bad example because people want to see like the to get in on it but you know in like an action movie or something but that has like a mostly male demographic probably so that is probably also an asset I don't know yeah, like what he writes in the in the chapter is basically that um, nudity is actually a lot more of a liability because it looks at you know movies like Harry Potter, uh, Marvel, Spider Man, whatever, uh, Lord of the Rings, and all of these like don't really have any like Harry Potter has no sexual component to it, and that's right, because you know, we, we just... waited like sorry we waited like twelve years for uh, Ron and Hermione to kiss. <laughs> exactly um and you know i think i think his reasoning is just that you know if there are no sex scenes you can also sell it to like kids and families and so you broaden your audience hence you broaden the money you make but um yeah right it'd be really interesting to know how that logic has changed with streaming services because for example like bridgerton i have heard is very you know explicit I haven't watched it yet I'm I'm late but um yeah you know because like Netflix has the option of like with the same service and with the same money that you're paying for the service you can have like separate kids and general tabs within the app for yeah. example yeah yeah I I'm also late to the party with Bridgerton I haven't I haven't been watching it um but yeah it will be interesting to see that um he I mean, the book is old, like it's from 2010s, but it touches upon streaming. And what he notes is how the, what he calls like the popcorn economy. So the traditional economic setting of movies has changed. So the fact that, you know, the, um, you know, you would go to the theater to watch a movie. Now you don't because A, you can't go because there's a pandemic. B, you <laughs> have Netflix and you can just watch it from your home and you're, you know, why should you, pay to go for a movie when you're already paying a monthly subscription it gives you access to all the movies that are out there on the subscription platform um so yeah i don't know i definitely like i think the technology also evolved to tailor the content of what you consume based on your preferences right thank you so much this was really interesting also remind me to introduce you to my friend martine because she's like very into alternative investments 
Yay. I'm excited <laughs> to meet her. <laughs> Virtually, probably, I'm going to like put you on the same FaceTime call and leave. <laughs> it's okay. We'll do that. Oh my God. Martine, if you're listening to this, like, beware, I'm going to have you as a guest sometime. But uh, are we ready for our overheard? Is it that time of the podcast? It's that time. I think it's that time. It, ha- it, it is time. This is so funny. I had to like rehearse this so I wouldn't like cry laugh while reading it. From Overhead London goes something like this. I wasn't invited to the wedding. I'm going to upload hundreds of bloated frogs captioned with their hashtags so their wedding pics will be tainted. I read that one before. It's so funny. (laughs) So funny. Like (laughs) this is the level of petty that I would be in this situation, I think. Comedic gold. Well, do you have any parting words, Sophia? Guys, have a nice week. Um, hope, yeah, because it's going to be Monday when it gets out. So hope you get yeah. have a great start of the week. I hope so too. And hopefully next week we won't have to give you a rundown of what's happened in American politics that week because we're getting bored. Yeah, we're tired of it. We're tired. We just, we just want the news cycle to be boring again. <laughs> Biden rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement. That's a win. Yeah, that's great. That's great to see. Yeah. Well, Sophia, this has been so much fun. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you also for being equally lost with me with languages today. Haha, <laughs> oh my god, good use of the branding, Sophia. Well, we will talk to you next week. If you love the podcast, please rate and subscribe. If you hated it, leave us a five-star review. And we shall see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.